0: You've probably heard about digital PR, about how you can get links from some of the world's top websites, and about how it's the future of link building. The problem is that nobody does a good job of explaining exactly how you can do it. And that's why when a few months ago, an H AH Pro member, Gabby Covey, who runs Bright Valley Marketing, contacted me to talk about digital PR, I was immediately interested. She runs a company called Bright Valley Marketing, and they agreed to do a full digital PR campaign for Authority Hacker and let us talk about it live on this podcast. They landed 33 links, including some DR90 ones to our site. And in this episode of the podcast, we are going to break down exactly how they did that step by step. And not only are we going to discuss how they did our campaign, but I'm going to get her to talk about how you, how anybody listening or watching to this show can do it in any niche for their website too. Now, this is a slightly longer than normal episode of the show because we went into a huge amount of detail on every single step in the entire process. She literally held nothing back. Sometimes you get people, guests coming on shows and, you know, they share a few tips here and there, but they're not giving away the juicy stuff. That is not the case with Gabby. She was literally an open book. She would answer any question I had about digital PR. This was a genuine learning experience for me. And I got to ask all of the nerdy details about how every little minute step of the process works. And we're going to be sharing all of that in this episode of the podcast. And there are a ton of details about running a digital PR campaign that I haven't seen written or talked about anywhere else online. So if you want to uncover the exact step-by-step formula to run a digital PR campaign for your site in your niche then keep watching. Uh, This episode of the Authority Hacker Podcast is sponsored by Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. More on them a little later. And now, here is my guest, Gabby Covey. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. How's it going, Gabby?
1: Hi. (laughs) It's great to be on here.
0: Now, digital PR, I think, is, most SEOs would agree, it's it's the future of link building. And if you're not doing it right now, it's probably something that you should at least be on your radar, if not actively pursuing. But my problem is that every time I've seen people talk about digital PR, they talk about the kind of like high-level, theoretical, kind of abstract way it works. And what I want to do here today on this podcast is, get really into the nitty gritty detail of how to perform a a campaign. So you have actually, you and your company have actually done a digital PR campaign for us at Authority Hacker. We've gotten 34 links from it, including some in the DR 90 range, which is pretty impressive. And we're going to break down exactly how you did that so that people listening at home can follow along and do the same thing too. But before we start, I'd like if you could just give us an overview of how a digital PR campaign is structured before we go into the the detail.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So as you guys probably already know, the whole goal of digital PR is to land your website and your brand coverage in major media outlets, online media outlets, which usually results in, in a backlink to your website. And that in turn boosts your authority and EEAT, which we all know this is absolutely crucial in this, in this ever-changing digital landscape where Google, you know, wants to trust you, trust the brand, trust what you're saying. You've got so much competition there. So the way to structure a PR campaign really is to come up with an idea that's relevant to your niche, more or less related to your industry, that's newsworthy and actually is insightful and that journalists will want to cover. And how do you do that? You know, that's, that's, pretty ambiguous. Like what is newsworthy? So newsworthy is, is your campaign idea relevant to today's society, to what's going on? Is it trend? Is it talking about a trend? Is it something that's um, related to what's going on in society as a whole? Is it unique? Are you offering unique insights and perspectives through data, original data? Are you contributing something? Is your story, is your idea compelling enough to capture people's attention, capture journalists attention and in turn their readers as well so that's those are kind of like the elements that you need to think about and then then after that you know you have this idea then you need to gather the data and you can do so via by running a survey or by looking at existing data that's already out there and compiling it in a way that is insightful and uh, generates a a compelling angle a compelling idea in a nutshell i mean it sounds kind of complicated but it's really simple come up with a great idea Run a survey, gather gather the data, and then pitch it to journalists, and then watch the links flow in.
0: <laughs> my issue a lot of the time when people are explaining digital PR to me as a link builder is that they explain it in this kind of like high level way, but my mind is in instantly thinking, okay, well, how? Do, what type of content do I need to create? What type of ideas will work? Which journalists am I going to outreach to? How do I? What do I say to them? And so that's what I'd like to go through today with you is exactly how we do those things and how you did them for us on the the campaign that you ran for Authority Hacker. So you actually ran a campaign for us, which was titled Cubicle Comeback. What would entice you back to the office full time? It made a, a nice little inter- interactive infographic. If you're watching on YouTube, I'll put this up on screen. A nice little interactive infographic with the amount of money, I think, that people in each state in the US would require to be paid extra to go back to work in the office. So... A lot to unpack there. Can you tell us, how did you come up with this idea and why did you think that would be relevant for, for Authority Hacker?
1: Yeah, well, at the time, I think we ran the campaign maybe three to four months ago, but at the time, you know, everyone was talking about, oh no, we have to go back to work. All these companies were calling people back to work and no one <laughs> obviously wants to go back to work. Everyone became used to the hybrid uh, lifestyle or even just working from home altogether. So people were very resistant to the idea of going back to work and and being at an office. So we thought this would be a great idea to let's illustrate how badly people would want to work at home. What would it take for them, for an employer, to, to bring them to the office in terms of monetary compensation? So we ran a hypothetical scenario. What would it take? For your employer to say, hey, come back to the office and I will pay you X amount of money to do that. So we wanted to get this point across that people are just so resistant to going back to work, to going back to the office. We wanted to get granular and actually have some data to back this statement up because we had a hypothesis, right? People don't want to go back to work. But if you go and pitch this to the media, like no one's going to care about that. You need some data to back it up. And this was a fun way to illustrate the fact that people don't want to go back to work. And we found that the average amount that it would take for people to uh, go back to work was like over $12,000. So employers would have to pay someone $12,000 to entice them to go back to the office.
0: Did you create this or did you sort of have in your mind that you want to break this down by state so that the data was easier to collect or was it it so you could pitch it to more locations, more different journalists and and newspapers in in different locations? Yeah,
1: so a little bit of both, but primarily because nine out of 10 uh, media outlets are regional based. So if you can gather state-specific data, the chances of a journalist covering that data for that specific state is just much higher. Like if you're pitching to a Texas-based publication and you have Texas data to show them, they're going to hop on that. They're going to be like, wow, here's, you know, Some really interesting information about people that live in Texas in our state It's just more relevant to them. So, yeah, again, the likelihood that they're going to feature your story is higher than if you just share a story that's that's national and doesn't really quite uh, have the same impact. But of course, what we did in the, in the study was we had a national average, right? Which was, I think, over $12,000. And then we had a state by state breakdown. So we can see how some states compared against the national average. So if you are able to give journalists something to compare to, that's again a talking point. So they're able to 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 uh, contrast, you know, the different states and say, oh, well, you know, people in our state, you know, want 20,000. I think that was Alaska. I don't know. Don't quote me on this. But one of the states was like they required over twenty thousand dollars to lure them back into the office. So
0: <laughs> are there any other ways to structure a campaign aside from breaking it down by state? I mean, are, are all your campaigns structured this way or what percentage are structured differently?
1: Yeah, most of them are just because, again, you know, it just they're just more relevant like that. And and we just tend to get more uh, media coverage by that. But, you know, we also do we gather uh, data from existing public sources like BLS.gov. There's a variety of public databases that you can scout and you can create pretty much anything that you want um, by, by looking at that data.
0: What type of ideas typically work? best
1: so what we have found to be very successful are rankings (laughs) we love rankings rankings of the top 150 cities for for love i don't know i'm just coming up with an idea but rankings people just love rankings they'd love to come to see what what came out at the top in the top 10 so rankings hypothetical situations like this one you know like what would it take for people to uh, come back to the office in terms of monetary compensation? How much uh, sleep are people willing to lose in order to look at social media memes online? I don't know, to decompress, whatever. I'm just coming up with ideas. So hypothetical situations, rankings, those are kind of like the, the our favorite ones. And also advice pieces. So if you are an expert in your industry, one of the ways that you can go about getting press coverage is to come up with an expert advice piece. Right now, the holidays are coming up. So if you've got like a, a dog uh, blog or something, you know, uh, and this is actually a campaign we ran uh, a couple of years ago for a client warning people of, you know, like, hey, don't um, treat your pets like people. Don't dress them up. Don't do all these things that can be bad for their health. So we ran that campaign for a client a couple of years ago and it, get, it got, I think, over 25 media placements with backlinks so we were you know because it was trending topic it wasn't a trending topic but it was relevant to the time of the year and we positioned our client as an expert in his industry so he was warning people to just be very mindful of how they treat their dogs and don't treat them as pets and here's why here's here's what you shouldn't do so that got a lot of coverage so that's another way of getting press coverage
0: for a campaign like that how critical is it that you the person give a, giving advice are like a vet or an, an expert it can, can like a business owner give advice about dogs
1: you know what? Yeah, you don't have to be like necessarily an expert, expert, expert in your in your niche, you know, but you can just do research on your own and come up with some insightful tips and then draft a press release and then send it off to journalists that would be interested in covering your story. So and then in the end, if the media picks those stories up and talks about you, sometimes they'll like reference you as experts at blah, 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 your website have warned us to not do blah 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 blah, you know so they'll refer to you as an expert even if you don't aren't necessarily an expert and this works for personas as well believe it or not websites that are just have personas and don't have actual experts on there
0: can you give us some insight into the this concept of like the mood of the nation i've heard it termed as before so when i was at a, a conference once someone was talking about digital pr and they said that it's really important to kind of tap into what society is, is kind of going through and feeling at that point in time. And I think you touched on this earlier when you talked about our return to work campaign, because that was really all over the news for, for quite some time. I heard some, during COVID there was a lot of kind of feel good stories where we all the rage and more recently kind of economic ones of saving money and, and these kind of tips seem to seem to do quite well. How important is it to tap into that?
1: It's pretty important. I think you just need to be mindful of the ideas that you come up with and how they relate to society at the moment. You don't want to seem out of touch. You don't want to step on people's toes with ideas that might be seen as, yeah, just like offensive, especially when it comes to topics like covid pandemic things like that like you want to be very mindful of of what you say and what you come up with so i think keeping that in the back of your mind keeping the 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 mood of society and what the culture is about at the time at the current time is really really important because yeah again you don't want to seem like you're out of touch or just not uh, informed about what's going on you know like you said everyone right now here in America, it's all about the economy. We've inflation is rampant. You know, people are like worried about a recession. Is it happening? Is it not happening? So, whatever industry you're in, you can craft something that has to do with like saving money or, but you know, uh, keeping budgets in mind and being mindful of that budget-friendly vacation ideas, budget-friendly hobbies, activities, uh, ways to save money on your pets. <laughs> you know, like just like there's an infinite amount of Ideas that you can come up with that relate to to what's going on right now in society, what kind of everyone's talking about.
0: I think given that the idea is probably the most important part of a digital PR campaign, maybe you could give us some insights into what's actually... Going through the minds of journalists here, I mean, give some insights into what their day looks like. What does a journalist actually do in 2023? And how are you as a digital PR agency or as a site owner helping them to solve the problems that they're getting from their boss?
1: Journalists are tasked with being able to come up with interesting stories and write about them and the more that people read their stories the more engaged that they are the better for them the better for the journalist the better for the the media outlet that 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 has employed that journalist so they're interested in something that gets the dialogue going right that that sparks an online conversation so and that goes back to the idea of is your idea newsworthy and interesting you don't want to do something that's boring we often see is in failed pr campaigns is website owners will come up with an idea that they think is great because it relates to their industry and it's it's cool and interesting to them, but they go out there they pitch it to media and no one picks up their story because it's, it's not relevant enough to the, the general consumers out there, the, the readers. So you need to come up with something that's really, really captivating and interesting and unique and really gets the debate going. So a lot of our successful campaigns spark debate. People are like on, on two opposite ends of the spectrum. They have like one opinion and then the other people have like a, an opposing opinion. They're like fighting it out. <laughs> it's really funny to see. There's a, a lot of these articles have a comment section. So people are like commenting and they're like, no, this is not right. And oh, yeah, this is I agree with this and this and that. So, they're you know, you just, that kind of engagement is what drives a lot of views. And journalists are really happy with that.
0: So it's important to tap into controversy, I would say, in a way then.
1: Yes, in a nuanced way, <laughs> not too controversial, but just do it enough that you can get people talking, that there's a talking point, basically. You know, like with, with the work from uh, Back to Work Wage campaign that got people talking, like, yeah, you know, I want $30,000, I don't want 12,000. I actually want more, it would take a lot more for me. You know, I'm, it gets people thinking about What would it actually take to get them back to
0: work? What are some of your favorite campaigns that you've seen, not necessarily by yourself, but just in general, some of the most successful campaigns that you've seen? What have the ideas been?
1: Yeah, so I think one of the, I I think I saw this like a couple, maybe like a couple months ago, it's like the cities that have the happiest inhabitants, like where the cities in America where people are the happiest, or the cities in America that are best for raising a family, or uh, we actually just ran a a campaign on the most desirable suburbs in America, you know, that people want to move to, because nowadays, Everyone's trying to, at least in California too, like people are moving out of major metropolitan cities and moving to the suburbs. We here personally, like I've seen an influx of people coming to our area from the San Francisco Bay Area because they're just they, again work from home right more, more people are working from home and big cities are just super expensive to live in so those types of stories do really well cuz again they're re- very relevant to today's um, times
0: my personal favorite one here in the UK is there's a company called canine cottages it's like a vacation places you can go with your dog and it was so simple they took these like heart rate monitors, the things that you wear to the gym, so nothing super scientific, and they just strapped them onto some dogs, and they would say different words to the dogs, like "I love you," and monitor the heart rate. So, like the the takeaway was when you tell your dog "I love you," its heart rate goes up, so it respond it responds to that. Now, it could have just been that you say anything to a dog in a nice voice, and and they 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 get excited, but it just seemed to like capture like the the nation really. And this was in every major publication across the entire country in one week.
1: That's a feel-good story. People like feel-good stories and pets. Pretty much anything re- related to pets, you can create a feel-good story out of that. So, yeah, people just love positive stories, positive or negative. (laughs) Kind of those are like the really the ends that you want to be on. Anything that's down the middle that is that's just, you know, that's not going to really resonate. You need to be
0: a little edgy. Do you recommend that people trying to get into this themselves, should they be looking at newspapers to get ideas for the types of things that get featured? Or do you use AI, ChatGPT at all for this? Or how can you get some help with this?
1: Yeah, so for anyone trying to do this on their own, one of the easiest ways to generate some ideas is to just go into Google, Google, Google search, and then type in your industry and then type in study or use a Boolean search, study or data or whole, uh, those are kind of like the three things that you wanna look for. And then just see what's been published. In the past, I would say maybe six months to a year, see what's been published that's relevant to your industry. See what, what's getting coverage. And then based on that, you can kind of reverse engineer to know, okay, well, if this campaign idea got coverage, what can I do that's like kind of similar, but not the, exactly the same? Cause you don't wanna do that. You don't wanna cover the same angle, but maybe like reframe it, come up with a different angle that hasn't been covered before.
0: And I guess that would work to look in different industries as well, adjacent ones. So if you had a a cat blog, look at what, dogs or what, what uh, dog sites are doing.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's an endless uh, pool of ideas that you can come up with, an uh, inspiration to draw from Google News, uh, Twitter. You can, yeah, you can use ChatGPT, surprisingly. You can come up with, tell ChatGPT, hey, I operate a, a cat blog and <laughs> help me come up with five ideas for a PR campaign that will generate press coverage and tell me why it will generate press coverage. So you want to you kind of know what's the train of thought behind that to see if it's going to actually click with journalists.
0: And if you do that with AI, how many of the ideas that it gives you are are good? Do you have to sift through a lot?
1: Yeah, you do have to sift through a lot. I mean, I think AI is definitely getting better by the day. I think news just broke out that now ChatGPT can process like images and and voice and all that. <laughs> so I'm excited to try that out. But um, it's an iterative process. You have to refine the ideas that it comes up with because I don't think you're going to get like a ballpark idea like straight from ChatGPT in one go. But it's definitely a great starting point and then another thing that you can do is after you've got your idea, go and talk to a friend or your mom, <laughs> someone say, Hey, here's my idea. If you read this campaign uh, idea, if you read this study in an online, would you share it with anyone? Would you think, do you think it's interesting? Like just get their unbiased opinion. That really helps. That helps you determine if it's a shareable, interesting uh, campaign idea. And then, um... You can also ask ChatGPT again, hey, here's my campaign idea and pretend you're a journalist that works for a major consumer media outlet. Is this a campaign worthy of getting featured in your publication? Tell me why, why not? And then I, we actually did that with, with the work from um, back to work wage idea for Authority Hacker. And then I plugged that into ChatGPT after we ran the campaign and it, it actually told me, yes, this is this is a good campaign idea. <laughs> that's gonna generate a lot of uh, dialogue.
0: If someone's at home right now, they're listening to this podcast and they're thinking, gosh, I gotta get into digital PR and they, they wanna run their own campaign. What first steps would you suggest they take to come up with a good idea?
1: So first step you wanna take is to plug in your industry into Google search, into Google news, and then see what's been uh, written about your industry, what studies, what campaigns have been run in your industry. And in adjacent industries, like you mentioned earlier, just get just see what's out there. See what's been covered. I see what journalists are interested in covering. And then you can also get inspiration from, you know, other industries as well. Just type literally go into Google, type in study data, study or data or poll and then see what comes up in Google News. And then you're going to get like so many so many articles right from a variety of different industries. And that just that can get your creative juices flowing right there. So that would be the first step just to kind of start brainstorming a great campaign idea and thinking outside of the box. So if you, you know, if you run a very, like, let's say, like a B2B website about, I don't know, a manufacturing or something, you know, no one's gonna like, if you're coming up with an idea that's about manufacturing a product, no one's going to care about that. So you have to think be above and beyond like your specific industry and and think about something that journalists will want to cover that's newsworthy
0: would you recommend then people think in like a b2c context so thinking of like the the reader of a newspaper rather than someone in their industry if they're in b2b space
1: yes yes so consumer media outlets there's just so many outlets are out there that are really focused on the consumer but if you use Cision media database or other media databases to find journalists you will be able to find ones that cover business topics or that are more B2B focused, but the vast majority in my experience is they're all, the majority are consumer media focused. So if you can appeal to people in general, you're going to just be able to get more coverage. Whereas if you appeal to just B2B publications, you're going to get less coverage, but it's going to be more targeted. It's going to land in B2B publications. So that might be better from a link building perspective if you're getting super specific industry type of links so there's a benefit to that too but if you're if you want to get a lot of press coverage you got to think a little broader
0: and to create the the piece the article i guess there's two parts to it there's the data collection and the content creation essentially so i want to get into that now but first i want to have a quick word from our sponsor today which is ahrefs This week's episode of the Authority Hacker podcast is brought to you by Ahrefs Webmaster Tools, the free webmaster SEO suite that does many things far beyond what Google's own Search Console does. Now, you're probably already using Google Search Console to monitor how your sites are doing on Google, but to be honest, the reports are a bit meh. Take the link report, for example. It only shows you a fraction of the actual links your site has, even though Google knows you have more. And Google also doesn't give you any idea how authoritative or even toxic the links are. Whereas Ahrefs Webmaster Tools gives you all of the insights and data that a paid Ahrefs account will give you, including things like DR, UR, and the exact linking pages. And the same goes for SEO issues. GSC gives you some vague indications of things that might be wrong. Whereas Ahrefs Webmaster Tools monitors over 140 different parameters every single week and will alert you whenever something is not right. It's actually similar to what many paid tools that charge hundreds of dollars a year would do. And again, while GSC can give you things like impressions and clicks, It monitors your data, your keywords over a period of time and only shows approximate averages, whereas Ahrefs Webmaster Tools monitors all the keywords. And this could really save you the cost of, you know, a rank tracker or something. It also highlights keywords that you could potentially rank for by spotting weak pages that are above you, helping you to increase your organic traffic. And how much does all of this cost? absolutely nothing. It's completely free. So if you're not using it yet, head on over to ahrefs.com forward slash AWT and check it out. And now back to the episode. So can you give us some insights, Gabby, into how you collected the data for our piece?
1: For the Back to Work wage campaign, the way that we collected the data is we just, you know, we ran a survey. We surveyed people Across the United States, the were uh, people that are working from home at the moment or were working from home at the moment at the time we ran the campaign to determine if what amount of money it would take for them to go back to uh, to work. So we it was just a survey a survey based campaign. Yeah, so we ran a survey of about I think it was three thousand Americans, and then we asked them that question and then we broke it down by state. And that's that's essentially what we did. So survey based campaigns are awesome. They provide the most creative flexibility. You can literally ask any question that you can come up with. You know, they are expensive though. So I have I do have to say that if you are running a, a survey based campaign, the likes of Wholefish, I think they ch- we used to use them, and they charge about I think around uh, twenty seven hundred or so for a very basic survey campaign of maybe like five questions without a screener question and a screener question is really important because a screener question determines who your survey audience is you know you want to make sure you're you're asking the right people the right questions otherwise it's you're not really getting um, a valuable data there but um yeah so that's that's essentially what we did we ran a survey
0: Can you give me an idea of the amount of survey respondents in total or per state that you need to make this statistically significant or to be taken seriously?
1: Yeah, so what we found is 3,000 survey respondents is usually the sweet spot that you want to hit in order to capture media attention. Anything above 3,000 is amazing. I mean, if you can go 4,000, 5,000, 6,000, but, you know, that's great, right? But the more survey respondents you get like the more expensive your survey is going to cost. I mean, literally some companies are paying like fifty, sixty, seventy thousand $70,000 per campaign, right? Just to run the surveys, which is unfe- not feasible for the vast majority of affiliate site owners, right? It's just too expensive. So if you can survey around 3,000 respondents, that's sort of the sweet spot. Anything less than that, you're running into the issue of just not being taken as seriously and not having enough data. So that's, yeah, I would say around 3,000 is good, between 2,500 or 3,000 or more.
0: And do you have to use a sort of verified official company to collect survey data to, um, to do your survey? Or can you, you know, ask your own list if you have one? <laughs>
1: Yeah, so what we found is that by going through a professional survey company, you are adding an extra layer of legitimacy to your data. There's less resistance to uh, the media featuring your site, your campaign. So, you know, if you're running your an informal like LinkedIn poll or, you know, asking friends or family, it's just it's not going to it's not going to fly because you do need your data needs to be legitimate. But, you know, you guys have run some campaigns where you've gathered a lot of data I think also, the was it the AI uh, survey or something like that?
0: We did an AI survey, a link building one, and recently an affiliate marketing one. That was really good. We weren't really doing, I wouldn't call it digital PR. We weren't outreaching to, to journalists. It was more bloggers in, in our space that wanted to use our statistics.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that, you guys had a really good sample size there. I think it was over 2,500 or something. So that that in itself, that's really good. And that's fine. As long as you're, the, the number of respondents uh, is high you know if it's above 2500 then that's good and I but ideally you know you just want to eliminate any sort of resistance or yeah just just uh, barriers to getting coverage so if you do run run your survey through a company like polefish it's just it's they're gonna make things much easier for you yeah you're gonna you're gonna be able to get coverage a lot easier the methodology and everything is already included in those campaigns you don't have to worry about that you don't have to worry about about any of that.
0: You can- Once you have your data back from the, the survey, what do you do with it and how do you transform that into a, a content piece?
1: Yeah, so the first thing you want to do, you know, you're going to get back a bunch of data, right? You're gonna first, find some trends, find uh, anything that pops out that you think might be a talking point to include in your press release. But one of the things you want to do, especially if you have data now from various states across the United States, you know, ideally all 50 states is you want to come up with a way to easily illustrate that data so that when you do go out and pitch the data to journalists, they have something that they can look at visually that makes the data much easier to understand rather than a bunch of text that they have to go through and kind of like map out in their in their head, like how everything fits together and, and how everything compares. If they can see that visually in an infographic, in a table, in uh, our favorite interactive map where it's like a map of the United States and they can look at all the different states and see how every single state compares uh, to each other. That's ideal. So having that created, that linkable asset that is visually engaging is really important. And that's also going to help you write your, your press release as well.
0: Is it important to use sort of interactive elements? I saw the map you created, you could sort of hover over and see what the number is in each state. How crucial are those things?
1: So it's not crucial, but if you do want to have journalists embed your map or embed your linkable asset to their website, then an interactive asset is kind of important. They, I mean, you can do that, though, with a static infographic as well. I guess it just it boils down to how creating something that's visually engaging and it doesn't always necessarily mean creating an interactive infographic. So as long as your visual linkable asset is is easy to navigate through, is, is interesting and illustrates the data in an easy to understand way, then that that's fine, you know. Because again, if you if you go into uh, creating like an interactive map, that costs time, that costs money. It, it's more complicated to do. Yeah. So just creating like a simple table, an an interactive uh, or not an interactive, just like a, a static infographic, or even like an article where you're like breaking down the rankings and you have a table. Those have worked fine for us in the past as well.
0: When when you say article, it's it's basically a blog post discussing what you found. Or is there any any specific way it's structured? So
1: that type of style of linkable asset works well for rankings, because then what you can do is you can write a, a blog post basically outlining like, let's say, the top 10 results. And okay. then the results 11 through, I don't know, let's say 100, you can outline in a table, but you can talk about the first 10 and elaborate on that and then um, include your table, and then below that you can include additional information about the implications of the study. So you can talk about why it's relevant, what kind of societal implications this data has, give journalists another talking point and then even further below that you can start to kind of do some internal linking to your money pages and this is something that we always tell people hey be very nuanced here and don't go overboard don't start to like promote your products and services and all that you want to keep the that page really neutral right and not you, it's not a sales piece but you can link in turn link out to your other pages even money pages if it makes sense within the context of that article because that sends link juice to those pages so you get more benefits from this
0: but you you would turn off things like ads when you're doing the yeah the turn outreach off, campaign turn off ads page. for that
1: page yes don't, don't and
0: pop-ups and anything things like yeah that,
1: yes. yeah yes don't have anything that that might be intrusive and that might put people off.
0: So once you've done that is the next step to create a press release?
1: Yes, that's right. The next step is to create a press release that you're going to be um, sending out to relevant journalists that would potentially like to cover your campaign idea. So then the press release is really your opportunity to talk about your data and why it's relevant and highlight the key takeaways of your, your, your campaign. And then Tell them, hey, if you want more information, here is you know the link to your your linkable asset page where you go into all the rankings. And then it's just a summary of, of your data, why it's important and why the journalist should cover it, essentially. So
0: I, I've seen before some people, they'll send like the, a full press release. Then they'll have like a bit of a cut, almost like custom email template with like a paragraph or something at the top. Like what structure does an email you're sending to journalists usually take?
1: Yeah, that's actually a similar structure to how we how we put everything together. So we have like a very short little blurb at the top speaking to the journalists themselves. Like, hi Peter, we've noticed you've covered an article about work from home and then we'll like reference his article. And, and this is in regards to the authority hacker campaign, right? And then we'll, we'll talk about just very briefly, like you've we've seen that you've uh, covered a similar article in the past about work from home. And then we thought that you might be interested in this new study by authority hacker, which we've outlined below. And just really keep it super simple and short. And then below that, you've got your whole press release. You've got your title. You've got the intro. You've got the key takeaways. You've got maybe the top three results that are are the most newsworthy, that you think are the most newsworthy. And then below that, you want to include a quote as well from a spokesperson from your website, either you or your persona. I really shouldn't say that (laughs) because... But yeah, persona, it's fine. But uh, so you want to create a quote, draft a quote, include something, a statement from, from someone from your website that talks about these results and what the implications are and why your study was important, why it's relevant to society, something that the journalist can actually like directly quote in their article. So the point of the press release is to really give the journalist everything they need to create an article. <laughs> give them the talking points, talk about the implications of your data, why it's important. The context, the first paragraph should of, of your press release should talk about the context of the survey, like why it's important, why we ran the study, basically, so they can understand why your study was imp- is important and why they should cover it. So you want to give, the press release should just be everything that the d- journalist needs to create a compelling article. And if they want to learn more, they can click on that link that provides them with all the results.
0: How long or short is a a press release email typically?
1: Yeah, you don't want to go anything overboard uh, over like 850 words should be around between 600 to 850. That's kind of the sweet spot.
0: Okay, great. And once we've done this, How do we find or how do we decide who we're going to outreach to? What's does prospecting look like in in digital PR world?
1: Yeah. So when you're prospecting for your digital PR campaign, you want to identify journalists that are most likely to feature your campaign. That would be most interested in featuring your campaign and reading your data. And the tier one journalists that we always outreach to are the ones that have covered a similar story in the past, in the past uh, six months to a, a year, up to a year. So from now up to a year. So we identify them, and then we reach out to them, and then we tell them, hey, you know, we noticed that you recently covered a similar story in this article, and we thought you'd be interested in in, in reading our um, our campaign results. So we ident- that's the tier one. Type of journalists that we outreach to tier two are journalists that are in your industry in in the specific yeah niche that you are covering in your uh, campaign so in this case it was you know it's we talked about back to work wages So, we looked at HR professionals or journalists that talk about HR topics in the workplace, business topics, personal finance. So, those were the tier two journalists. And tier three are you're going even broader. You're looking at like lifestyle journalists, general consumer media. So, you've got, you know, you go from really granular to a little bit broader each time. And you don't want to target more than, I would say, like a thousand journalists, and that's already like a lot. So, anywhere between like 200 to a thousand journalists is a good spot for prospecting, like a good media outreach list to have.
0: Can you share any tactics for or tools for how to actually do this? Are you using standard SEO tools? Are there specific tools? for finding journalists?
1: Yeah, so we specifically use Cision Media Database, but there are a lot of other databases out there, Muckrack, a lot of people like Muckrack. There's even a cheaper alternative called Prowly, which I've yet to try, but they're positioning themselves as kind of like the the alternative to all these big media databases that are that's more affordable to the average site website owner. So that's that. You can also use just Google. <laughs> you can use Google find relevant journalists like that. Twitter. I mean, there are a, v- a variety of ways. Yeah, but we we like to use Cision, even though you know it comes with its own like kind of drawbacks as well. It's not perfect. <laughs> so like with the filtering tools within Cision, sometimes you'll you'll get journalists that are like not even active anymore for that don't even work at a specific publication anymore. So you have to like kind of, you have to vet every single contact that you download to make sure they're actually really relevant. So there's a little bit of manual labor that go, oh, I should say a lot of manual labor that goes into this. Yeah, those are kind of like the main tools. So I would say Cision and Muckrack are probably the best ones.
0: And in terms of pricing, how much do these big tools of charge?
1: Yeah, so Cision, I, I think it costs a lot like about like $10,000 or more a year. So it's pretty expensive, but probably I think is like a couple hundred bucks a month. But again, if people want to do this for free, Google and Twitter, you you can find journalists like that. You don't need a specific tool to use, but these tools just make it easier to sift through the plethora of journalists that are out there to save you time, right? (laughs) Because time is money.
0: How big is your, typically, is your prospect list for for a campaign? How many journalists are you trying to reach out to?
1: We do about, and it depends on the nature of the campaign and the industry. For example, travel, you can be targeting like 1,500 to 2,000 journalists because travel is just huge, right? There's so many, so many publications that cover travel and journalists that like to Talk about travel. So, but the the more granular you get into specific industries, the smaller your pool of journalists is going to be. So, um, I would say around five hundred. That's that's usually like the kind of the average.
0: And do you use the same tools to do outreach, or are you just sending it from your? your regular email account?
1: Yeah, so we have a specific email marketing platform that we use that is, we own our server basically. So what that means is that we control our domain reputation in turn our email deliverability scores, right? Because we want to make sure that our emails, our press releases land in these journalists' inboxes and don't go into their spam. And in order to do that, you have to be really mindful of the things that you say in the email to not trigger spam filters you also need to be mindful of um you know your open rates if no one's opening your emails then your domain reputation score is going to go down and that's going to decrease your email deliverability potential
0: what kind of things could trip a spam filter is that like about making money online or yes
1: yes so all those things like making money online and i don't even know if i can say this on the podcast i don't want to trigger the youtube filters right and like I know that that's a thing, <laughs> but yeah, anything related to yeah money and like gambling. I don't know if I can say that. I don't want <laughs> to. Sure. Off.
0: Yeah, that's fine.
1: <laughs> gambling, adult stuff, all that stuff, uh, pharmaceuticals, CBD. Then you start to get into these gray uh, zones where you might be tripping off journalists servers, spam filters, and then your email is going to go straight into their spam. They're never going to read it. Your open rates are going to go straight down and then that's going to make outreach so much harder.
0: (laughs) I saw a really good campaign once by a Swedish casino company and they'd made this page, done something similar to the type of campaign you're talking about, where they took a bunch of cities around the world And they looked at a number of different factors, like how many nightclubs there were, the cost of a beer, a few other things. And they're like, what's the best partying cities in the world? And then they did outreach to all the local newspapers from these cities and compared the rankings and stuff. And did really well. But they were a casino site. But looking at this landing page, you would never know it because there was nothing about that on there. So they ran this campaign. And then we actually featured them on the podcast a couple of years ago. And what they did sneakily afterwards is they then redirected that page back to their like casino gambling slots <laughs> yes, page. So yes. all these newspapers end up linking there in the end.
1: So. Yeah, yeah. It's a very crafty way to run a campaign. Yeah, where you're kind of like deceiving the media. So
0: not something I'd recommend. But yes, yeah. thrown out there that these things do happen. But.
1: Yes, yeah. And that, and actually, with a lot of our clients, what they do months down the line, six months to a year down the line, they'll also do the same thing. They'll like redirect the the campaign the campaign page to like one of their money pages you know so we're like whatever you guys choose to do is fine i'm not going to say i recommend that but i can understand why they would do that
0: (laughs) or at least add some extra internal links to more money pages absolutely yeah we we always
1: encourage them to do that even while we're running the campaign just don't make it sound too salesy whatever context you add yeah
0: When you're doing outreach, how important is it to follow up? I know that's a big thing when you're doing more traditional, let's say guest post outreach. You always have a couple follow ups in there. Are are you doing the same thing with journalists?
1: A little bit, but we never follow up more than twice. And here's why. OK, so you don't want to piss journalists off if they didn't open your email the first time. They probably won't open the, your email the second time. And if they do, then that's great. But never follow up a third time because what they're going to do is put your if they're going to mark you a spam. OK, they don't. Don't bother them, you know, just don't get annoying with journalists. So it's better not to not to follow up too many times than it is to to be marked as spam and for being annoying. What we've seen too, a couple you know, with a handful of other sites is uh, when they're outreaching they're the, they do this sneaky thing where they put RE in the in the title in the subject line. <laughs> okay, you're nodding your head. You're familiar with that. I get that too sometimes. And it's like, I never open this and I never respond. I'm like, what? And then I'm like, I'll, I'll just, I literally mark them as spam. I'm like, this is so annoying. <laughs> so don't do that. Don't do anything that's shady. Don't follow up more than twice, I would say, if they didn't open your, your email the first time when it comes to, to journalists. Because these journalists get like over 200 emails a day. They're flooded, You're right, with, with so many emails. And you don't want to bother them. You don't want to bother them to the point where they're going to mark you a spam. And that's, again, going to decrease your email deliverability potential.
0: Do they typically respond to you and say, oh, thanks so much. I'm going to feature you next Tuesday. Or is there any discussion or negotiation? H- how does this differ from traditional link building and we call it the negotiation phase?
1: Yeah, no, none of that. Ninety percent of the cases, they don't respond. They just feature our campaign. Without saying a word, so then it's up to us to implement, use, leverage our media monitoring tools to be able to to see where we've been featured. So Cision has an internal media monitoring tool, but we like to use Ahrefs too, the alerts, uh, Google alerts, and like kind of a combination of all three because none of them are perfect. So <laughs> we know, you would just want to be on top of everything, make sure we've we've uh, been able to to find every place that we've been featured in.
0: I think this is a really important thing to get across because I can remember some of the first times we were experimenting with digital PR campaigns ourselves. We were sending all these emails out and nobody was responding to us. And we were thinking, what is it something we're saying? Is our angle wrong? But actually we didn't realize that it wasn't common in digital PR to get responses because we were coming out from a link building perspective. So that, that kind of threw us off a bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, in some cases, journalists will come back and say, "Hey," with like in one sentence, "Oh, this is interesting. Uh, can you share more data about the, the Chicago or something?" You know, like their specific city that they're they're a journalist um, in. So they'll like ask for like additional data or something, or maybe even actually ask you to be on TV. <laughs> So that happened with the authority hacker campaign. So you guys had the opportunity, but I think it just didn't work out. But yeah, you know, journalists will come come back and say, "Hey, do you want to be featured on this uh, news segment at 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 five PM today?" We're like, it's like three PM. <laughs> like, okay, call you.
0: If someone does get some success with that and is invited on on a show, can you give any insights into? What typically happens? Are you just on like a Zoom call and then they, they put you on the air? Or how does that even work? Yeah,
1: so it's typically a recorded Zoom interview or a live interview. But typically it's it's recorded, pre-recorded, and then it goes live on like an actual uh, newscast, like a, at a 6 p.m. news <laughs> or something. Yeah. So and it's really short. It's not more than five minutes, I would say. So it's, it's fast and pretty simple if you are kind of like an expert in your industry. But me, if I were to get on TV, I'd be like, oh, my God, no, I can't do that, you know, <laughs> at least not yet. Like, I'd, I'd be too nervous. So a lot of people just don't really want that kind of publicity. But if you are able to get on TV, I mean, that's another EAT signal, right? Put that on your website as featured on like today's uh, Channel 10 you know, newscast or whatever um, at 6 p.m. Yeah, so that would that would really help so i think just getting more media exposure would just significantly help your your eat
0: so in your campaign you built us in total 34 links ranging from I think most of them were in the sort of DR 60s, 70s and a couple in 80, even 90. DR 92 link from MSN and DR 85 link from the Houston Chronicle. Can you tell us did you do anything specifically different with the these big publications versus the more some of the local publications?
1: Yeah, so with Houston Chronicle, no, they're all, you know, it's just all part of the same outreach that we have done the, the way that we've targeted journalists by finding finding who would be most interested in in um, covering the campaign. So that was for Houston Chronicle, but with MSN, MSN is a little different. So MSN now only syndicates content. So they don't actually have writers, as far as I know anymore. What they do is they're a syndication platform, just like Yahoo. So when a, a particular news organization covers a campaign, MSN will sometimes pull from, pull the same article from that publication and put it on their website. So. Uh, you are, it's not an original article, but the benefit of having a syndicated article on MSN, a platform like that, or Yahoo is that they have a huge readership, like a huge audience of people that are reading those articles all the time. So your campaign gets amplified in those channels on MSN, on Yahoo. So you're drawing a ton more people to your website, a lot of, uh, referral traffic, sometimes more so than the actual original publication. So there's that kind of benefit to having syndicated content, even though you might not receive like a direct link building benefit. But I, I know MSN, MSN's links are do-follow. Yahoo, I believe, are mostly no-follow. So, I mean, but there's definitely a benefit there. It's just not, I would say, as, as high from like an SEO standpoint.
0: And occasionally, I think three of them in our campaign were were just brand mentions. Like they didn't actually link to us. Is that typical or how how often does that happen? Is that just policy or do they just forget to link or why does that happen? Sometimes
1: both. Usually they just forget to link. So then in those cases, what you want to do is reach out to the webmaster of the website and then just ask them, hey, this journalist covered our campaign and they didn't link to us. Do you mind linking to us so you can so, so readers can get more information or, you know, something like that. Just like keep it super short and then that usually ends up. Webmasters are usually happy to just like add the link back, but of course it's not a guarantee. So, but it's worth the effort, right? Because obviously a link is better than the brand mention. So,
0: some of the sites on here, uh, like the from the local newspapers or local local radio stations, looking at them, they don't look as good. What are your thoughts on some of these kind of very small sites that that have loads of stock images and, and are. As a link builder, I'm thinking, oh, maybe this is a link farm. But no, it's a real radio station. It exists. What are your thoughts here?
1: Yeah, so I mean, yeah, there's definitely, you've got the larger publications with millions of readers and you've got the smaller, like super, super tiny publications that have like a very specific audience of, I don't know, just not very many people, right? But I think, you know, because they are a media outlet, there's a benefit to to being featured there as well. And it's not always about, how high the, the DR of a website is, right? Like obviously DR is a great metric, but we all know it can be manipulated. So you need to look at other metrics like the traffic, you know, of that site, the, how many keywords they're ranking for. Are they like, you know, are we seeing like traffic drops, right? <laughs> or are we seeing steady, like a steady pattern of of traffic every month? Because that shows that it's a healthy website. And if that website is covering Recent events and appears legitimate, then it is a legitimate website in Google's eyes. Because Google's not going to be like, oh, that DR is thirty. Uh, uh-uh. uh, this doesn't matter. So it's the, the, that that that's how Google
0: works. Do you encounter bad websites that you wouldn't want to link from, or is it quite rare in digital PR?
1: It's rare, but we do encounter those. And when we do encounter those, we we kind of blacklist them out of our our media prospecting list. We we know that we don't we don't ever want to like reach out to that website again. So we always kind of vet websites before we reach out to them to make sure that we're actually reaching out to legitimate sites. But yeah, on the rare occasion there will be sites that are like, they were legitimate at some point and then they just started becoming like really shady. So you don't, we're like, no, we don't want to, we don't want to get our our campaigns featured on
0: there. How important would you say are relationships in digital PR I think a lot of us as site owners coming into to try and do a campaign, we have this idea that, you know, there's there's the the way people talk about doing digital PR and then actually everybody just knows each other. And that's that's how they get the, the links. Like how realistic of a thing is that and how important is it to build relationships with journalists?
1: Yeah. So, you know, honestly, it's really not that important to build relationships with journalists. And here's why. So if you are running digital PR campaigns on a regular basis, your story should be strong enough that random journalists across the nation would want to 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 feature your campaign and your story so if you've got relationships and we do have relationships with some journalists but if you've got relationships and those are that's the only way that you get coverage is through your relationships you're going to be featured in the same campaign uh, same websites over and over again right so that kind of the seo value in that is is going to become limited because you're getting the same links from the same domains over and over again whereas with you know if you're targeting targeting a new journalist every time that are interested in your camp covering your campaign, you're gonna just be able to get links from a variety of different domains. And that's just gonna build your website's authority. Way more than than if you're getting the same links from the same uh, media outlets over and over again. But yes, personal relationships do matter too. So you know we've got lists, me, uh, media contact lists. We call them friendly journals that have covered our content in the past, and they actually come to us, and they're like hey, if you have new campaigns that you want to share with us or new, new studies or data or whatever, let us know. So we have those. So we definitely reach out to them as well. But we rely heavily... What,
0: what percentage on them. of your links come from those sources versus kind of cold or more? Cold yeah,
1: appreciate? so it, like 10 to 15%, I would say. Okay. Yeah, and the, the vast majority are just new journalists that we have never contacted before.
0: And I presume there's not very much like paying for links or anything like that goes on in digital PR.
1: Zero paying for links. Yeah. You never pay a journalist or bribe them or anything. <laughs> no, the the story should speak for itself and it should be captivating enough that journalists will want to cover it. Because, again, you have to think about this. Journalists are hungry for data. They're hungry for ideas. They're hungry for newsworthy topics they can cover. So if you can make their lives easier by giving them interesting data so they can write an article about it. That's going to make them very happy <laughs> and make the publication happy.
0: What are some of the reasons why campaigns would fail? Then
1: one of the reasons campaigns fail oftentimes is kind of we kind of touched on this earlier, but just you're coming up with a, an idea that is not newsworthy and doesn't appeal to a broad consumer base and is very like nichey. You know, <laughs> so let's talk about paintball, right? <laughs> like if you were to run like a, a campaign on on paintball. And just anything we, we do
0: love paintball. And the I, know, I, know. Podcast, I don't want to, yeah. you know,
1: paintball is a great uh, niche, but you need to think a little bit broader when it comes down to paintball. You can do something like, what is Generation Z's favorite new adventurous first time date idea or something like that? And you can like come up with a bunch of ideas like bungee jumping, paintball, axe throwing. It's like huge now. I don't know if you've ever tried it.
0: <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not very good at it, but. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so those are kind of like the ideas that you can come up with. And then that, that, so basically when you do that, you, you're coming up with a, an interesting angle that vast consumer media will, will want to cover, you know, cause it's fun. It's Generation Z. It's talking about adventurous activities and dates and all that, so it's related to paintball, but it's not about paintball, if you know what I
0: mean. Yeah, that's really, really smart, actually. So you're you're essentially taking something which is appeals to the masses, appeals to everyone in a, a very sort of B two C way, and then just like one of those list item responses would be your topic, your paint uh, paintball or whatever it is you're covering. That that really opens up the door to a lot of different angles infinite amount of angles really for for any site
1: yeah absolutely and then if you even want to highlight paintball a little bit more you can do that in your press release in the commentary section maybe even as as a quote you know from from mark webster paintball activities such as paintball are like a a great new way to connect to your potential partner or i don't know like you can come up with with a quote where where, you know you can talk about paintball a little bit more in detail and then journalists are gonna probably pull that quote and include that quote in their article so now you've got like even more relevance to paintball
0: <laughs> Let's take another couple of examples because I'm I know there'll be a lot of people at home listening thinking well what what could I do for for my site so we've covered online marketing I guess in a way with the authority hacker example we've covered paintball as we always do on this this show what about something? really broad like what about cats because everyone loves a good cat picture is there any way we can tap into that
1: cats yeah so if you've got a cat blog you can do something like run a survey to determine which states are cat people versus dog people (laughs) you know state by state breakdown california people love their cats or something like that you know and in texas people love their dogs i mean this is just i'm just coming up with something right now but you can do like a fun state by state breakdown, and then we can map that out across all the states, and then maybe talk about like yeah, people that are that live in more rural rural areas. God, I can't say that word. Uh, prefer dogs more, and people in cities prefer the low maintenance of cats or something. I don't know. We can. And it can be a really fun campaign. It's one of those like kind of feel good campaigns that also gets the dialogue going because people could be like, yeah, well, I'm not a, I'm a cat person or I'm a dog person and this is not true. The data is not right. Oh yeah, the data is right, you know. You get like polarizing opinion.
0: It's, yeah, I was going to say what, what we talked about earlier, you know, polarizing, giving people, making people take a kind of opposing stance, but in a friendly, nice yes, way. Yes. Yeah. That, that ticks all of those boxes perfectly.
1: Yeah, it? exactly. Yeah. So just get sparking the, the, the online dialogue is what you always kind of want to keep in mind.
0: Let's take another example then. Let's say I have a, a blog about photography. Maybe I have a few courses on it? What am I going to be? What are some good ideas that I can I can do in that space? Oh,
1: so photography, yeah, photography. And okay, the ideation phase usually takes us like two weeks. So we're like condensing it into two seconds.
0: I'm sorry to put you on the spot here. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, uh, photography blog, photography website. So yeah, what you can do is maybe run like a photography contest, have photography experts or aficionados online, submit their photos of like America's top landmark and then we can illustrate those uh, landmarks in a new way we can vote we can run the social media contest and vote on like the top photos that illustrate America's landmarks in the most compelling novel way you know in 2023 and then people can vote online on social media they can vote on e- for each for the top photo and then once you've got the final list, I guess then we can yeah, we can draft a press release and then pitch it out to the media and say, Hey, here is the 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 best photo is voted online that re- best represents the golden gate bridge you know or something like that in 2023 and it could be this like cool maybe some yeah i don't know like a, a cool style cuz we all know what the golden gate bridge looks like but how is it best illustrated in 2023 i don't know i'm sorry <laughs> just coming up with
0: okay great so in terms of digital pr would you say that it is getting easier or harder and Is it a good time for site owners to be thinking about getting into this now if they're doing it themselves or, you know, going through an agency?
1: Yeah, I mean, is digital PR getting easier or harder? Uh, In some ways, I think it's becoming easier because now we have automated technology. AI is making crunching data easier. We're going to get to a point where... Maybe ChatGPT, you know, will be able to 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 input a question like, "Hey, ChatGPT, help me determine what the happiest cities in America are based on public data from blah 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 blah," and it can it will like literally go into like a public database, crunch all the numbers, give you everything you need, right? And then you've got a campaign right there. The problem with that obviously is like you gotta probably do a lot of fact-checking because I still (laughs) don't completely trust like the data that it comes up with. But you know, it will eventually make data crunching easier. So in some ways, it'll be easier for people to run their own PR campaigns. It's gonna get harder to get those campaigns featured because with the advent of AI, journalists are getting pitched to all the time, even more especially with HARO, people are like coming up with AI generated responses. And what we we do HARO for our clients on an ongoing basis. But what we see in in a lot of the queries is like journalists will be like, no AI, no AI, no, (laughs) like they'll specifically state that even to the point where they're like, if you do submit AI content, uh, we will report you (laughs) to like, we're like, okay, so don't submit any, any chat GPT-generated responses.
0: I think a, re- a really good tip for Harrow is if you run a site, go on the other side of it and ask a, a question on Harrow and you'll, you'll you'll get hundreds of responses, but you'll see the types of responses that you get. And I have been on the other you, side,
1: yeah.
0: It gives you a better idea of what these journalists are, well, these poor journalists are going through.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're sifting through so many, so many um, responses and so many... Just they're, they're overloaded, right? So, so they're getting pitched to much more than before. So that makes it harder for your story to, for your email to stand out. So in some ways, digital PR campaigns, they're becoming easier. Other ways it's becoming harder because then you have to stand out more and you're fighting against all these other people to stand out in the journalist's inbox. So, yeah, that's kind of where things are at right now. So, that's why relevancy is super important. So, the more relevant your story is to that particular journalist, the better. So, the higher the chances are that they're going to. They're going to read your story. And one of the tips I wanted to share, too, is if you're when you're when you're emailing journalists, your subject line, try to reference the article that they have covered in the past. That's similar to your campaign idea that you're pitching to them. So just include like in the subject line, the exact title of their of their story, because when they see that, they're going to immediately recognize it and they're going to probably open that email. You caught their attention.
0: They'll know that you've done your research.
1: Yes, yeah. So they know that it's relevant to them. So that's probably a tip I probably shouldn't share, but you know, whatever. Give that's a
0: good one. Yeah. (laughs) So is there anything about running a a digital PR campaign that we haven't covered, or I haven't asked you that I should have asked you?
1: Yeah. So one of the things that uh, people should know about is you know don't get discouraged if you don't get media coverage right away. So a lot of people they're like, hey. Why is nothing happening? Why is no one covering my story? It's been a week. So if you are, if your campaign idea is kind of like an evergreen idea, kind of like the ones that we just talked about, where it's not specific to something that's happening right at that very moment, then it's likely that journalists are gonna sit on that idea, uh, on, on that campaign for a while, until they're ready to cover it in their um, article in, o- online. So I think if you don't see anything happening in the first week, don't get discouraged, keep going. If nothing is happening after the second week, like crickets chirping, there's probably something wrong. So you need to kind of pay attention to your open rates. Are, are journalists even opening your uh, your email? Anything, if, if your open rates are below, I would say 10%, that's really bad. There's something wrong with with your email. Either you're, you're, you're tripping off the spam filters or something's going on. So be mindful of your open rates. And that's an indication if, if your campaign is even being uh, seen by journalists. So after two weeks, if nothing is happening, go back to the drawing board. And I would say just uh, think about what, what, what might have gone wrong.
0: And it can take, if you're starting this yourself for the first time, it can take a few sort of attempts before you, you know, land one that, that hits, that's not uncommon.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So don't get discouraged. I mean, the more you do it, the easier it's going to be. And once you hit, um, hit success with this, with the campaign, you're going to be like, oh, okay, well, now I know kind of like what works. And I'm going to kind of do that next time in a different way for the next campaign idea you'll get a better sense of what works.
0: If people don't want to do it themselves though and want someone to to take care of all of this for them, you obviously do that at at your company. Can you you tell us a little bit more about how that works like what does someone get when they come to you for a, a campaign
1: <clears throat> yeah so we handle everything from start to finish we come up with the campaign idea um, and then the you know the client approves it or they don't approve it we go back to the drawing board we actually do our due diligence we make sure every campaign idea passes our litmus test for what makes a successful campaign and then we once we've we've done that we go on to production where we gather the data we run the surveys we illustrate the data we create the linkable asset interactive map or static infographic whatever best illustrates the data and then we also do the prospecting we do the outreach so it's a done for you start to finish type of thing we report on um, the coverage that comes in as soon as it comes in or in a weekly report whatever the client wants and yeah it's kind of a done for you service and if the campaign doesn't work for whatever reason which does happen sometimes I mean yeah we've been doing this for a long time but even with us, like it's, it's sometimes you're just, you know, you talk about the wrong thing at the wrong time, you know? So if that happens, we have to re-angle or, and, or even sometimes just run a whole campaign again, obviously at no extra charge until we, we get it right.
0: Yeah. And uh, speaking as someone that's, that's been through the the whole process, like it's a really hands-off from a a client perspective, which is what you want. Like it's, it's, it's really handy. Uh, Can you tell us then, do you sort of, guarantee a certain amount of links or what, what's the expectations that someone would receive from a from a campaign
1: yeah so we usually guarantee around 10 links i would say from unique domains and 10 is like the very minimum we like to shoot way above that we like to under promise and over the is kind of like what we do um, so what we,
0: what would the average number of links that you get it's from about a 20
1: to, to 30 is kind of like where campaigns land but if you're running consistent campaigns with us, some campaigns will land 15 and others will land like 100. So it kind of in the end, you know, it averages out to maybe like around 30 or so.
0: And what type of sites do you work with?
1: Uh, yeah, so we work with, uh, in, with clients from a variety of industries, love travel, pets, the fun uh, niches, you know, real estate, uh, parenting, personal finance. I mean, the list goes on and on and on.
0: Is there anyone you don't work with?
1: We don't work with gambling sites. We don't work with adult sites. We don't work with like same day pay loan sites and and all that. Any of the kind of questionable sites that might harm our domain reputation scores, because we're always concerned about ensuring maximal email deliverability. We want to make sure our press releases get into journalists inboxes. So we kind of want to avoid those those types of industries, unfortunately. I know that other agencies do target those, but we don't want to play in those in those areas.
0: <laughs> and if someone listening is interested and might might want to do a campaign or, or get in touch, what's the best place or what's the best way for them to get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, you can just go to brightvalleymarketing.com, B-R-I-G-H-T-Vally B-A-L-L-E-Y marketing.com or you can just reach out to me directly Gabby G-A-B-B-Y at brightvalleymarketing.com and then we'll hook you up with a great campaign and get you some coverage.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well Gabby thanks so much for coming on and giving us that really exhaustive uh, insight into how digital PR campaigns are, are run. I know I've learned a lot today and I shall certainly be implementing some of these tips in, in my own campaigns in, in future.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on here. I, I love being part of the Authority Hacker community, been, been part of your community since 2016. So it's been like the OG, OG
0: member. OG
1: <laughs> member right here. So myself. So thank you so much.
0: All right. So there was a lot to unpack in that episode. Let's quickly go through what was discussed. The any digital PR campaign, according to Gabby, is the ideation phase. So coming up with the right type of idea for a piece of content, which journalists are going to like. Now, the way to do this is to look at what's been successful before, to look at what's been successful in adjacent or in other industries and see if you can maybe combine different elements of that and bring it into your own niche. She said that comparing different areas, regions or cities works particularly well. Anything that you can do to create a kind of ranking system, you know, the best cities for whatever it might be, is potentially going to be a hit because you can target a lot of different local news stations and local newspapers with that. And everyone just likes to see how their region or their city compares to each other. Expert advice is also very valuable if you are, you know, a vet in the pet industry or you have one working for you or you can hire one to work for you for a specific campaign then there's a lot of opportunities there as well. You don't even need to be a vet in many cases if we're talking about non-medical stuff. Someone who's a dog walker could suffice in many situations. We also talked about how the the national mood is important. So as we're recording this, the economy is on a lot of people's minds and that's a a really important thing. So if your story has a kind of money-saving element, then there's probably a higher chance it's going to be successful right now. But that may change in future. So just keep an eye on what types of stories you see appearing in different newspapers. And lastly, for ideation, you want to make the story and the angle appeal to the general public, to everybody. So if you're in a technical niche or a very specific industry, especially like a B2B space, don't Talk about your specific corner of the industry, try and broaden it so it has wide appeal that's why I think the campaign that we did rather than focusing in on some you know nerdy SEO statistics it was more the idea that work from home and how much do people need to go back into the office you know, that kind of thing is on everybody's mind and Everybody's going to be kind of interested in the the numbers. Content creation shouldn't be too difficult. If you run a website, if you create good blog articles that rank, then you already have, I think, most of the skills here. I think specifically with digital PR, a lot of campaigns that Gabby runs rely on data. So either getting your own data through surveys, and you can run surveys yourself, or there are many survey companies out there that you can use to help get data for that. You can also separately or in combination with your own data, combine that with other publicly available bits of data from government offices and places like that. She did say that around 2,500 to 3,000 responses on on any survey was kind of the minimum statistically significant that you would need in a kind of broad survey for a journalist or a newspaper to to really take you serious. And that's really interesting because I actually heard here in the UK that the number is about 1,000 to 2,000. Being a smaller country, maybe that's different from, from the US. I'm not sure. But I also heard that the, the top, top tier publications, or I'm talking like BBC here in the UK at least, they looked for surveys of at least 10,000. So significantly bigger. So something to factor in there as well. Then presenting this data in a nice way that's easy to understand instantly what's going on And the average person isn't going to have to decipher too many technical graphs to to see the data. So things like an infographic can work particularly well here, or even just simple graphs and charts, you know, using something like Canva to create those. Then it's important to actually post this on your site, just like you would a regular article, so that people have somewhere to link to. And when you do this, make sure to turn off any ads, opt-ins, and anything that's going to distract a journalist from the actual content on the page. Next, you're going to write a press release, which is really a shortened version of the article, which has all of the key findings, the most important findings in a more succinct way where the journalist can kind of read through it and see, okay, yeah, this is exactly what it's about. I can see there's a couple graphs here. Okay, yeah, I, I get an idea quickly when they're scanning through it what's going on. You also want to talk about the implications. So don't leave it to the journalist to figure out, okay, well, I have all this data, so what? What does this mean? What are the implications of that? You, as the industry expert, can present those implications to the journalist. And you're really kind of saving the journalist a lot of thinking time and a lot of work by doing it. Also, you're kind of shaping the story in the way that you want when you present that information. You probably hear on the news a lot about this concept of talking points and it's something I think a lot of politicians and people in the media do to kind of shape a narrative and really all a talking point is is a an implication or a what does this mean concept about a story or a point that someone else i.e not the journalist has kind of tried to steer the conversation towards and I think that a big reason that that happens is because journalists just don't really have too much time to go through all this they all have deadlines and quotas and they need to write a certain number of stories every day and it's all a bit hectic and just with the landscape of journalism as it is most people expect news for free these days because you get it all online but someone still has to pay the journalist so there's there's kind of a lot of difficult factors there that mean that they just don't really have too much time to focus on things so if you can save the journalist time by essentially doing most of their work for them you know writing the information in a way that they can kind of copy and paste a lot directly into their article having your as the expert quote right on there so they can you know just lift that quote in makes it so much easier for them to take note of your piece and then use it and link to you. When you're prospecting, trying to find journalists to reach out to, to promote this, make sure that you look for journalists who have written similar stories before. Then when you're outreaching, you can actually reference those. Same way you would for link building. Same way that you would with sniper link building, right? You would say to someone, oh, hey, I saw that you did this or I'm also interested in this. Try building a connection with them and show them that you're not just spamming out a press release and spamming out a story, that you're actually paying attention to what that journalist is writing about and showing that that kind of personalization is more likely to get your your foot in the door. In terms of tools for, for prospecting, she talked about using Cision, which that's actually the same company that runs Harrow, interestingly enough, and Muckrack. But both of those are kind of more expensive tools, I guess meant for digital PR agencies or, or large companies. She did, however, mention a tool called Prowly, which is quite a lot cheaper. So you could potentially check that one out. If not, I think Hunter and Snovio, the standard link building tools might get you a long way. You can also check out journalists on Twitter. Most of them are on Twitter and many of them have email addresses or ways to contact them on their Twitter bios. When you outreach, you wanna personalize both in the subject line and at the start of the email. The reason you wanna do that in the subject line is so that when they have 40 other pitches in their inbox that day, if they're all generic subject lines and your one is personalized, maybe includes their name, maybe it references something that they've written before, then whose do you think they're going to open? Yours, of course. Gabby said that you can attach the, the press release to the email. Most people I've seen do it literally just copy and paste the press release at the end of the email after they've they've said their bit. And then she also said to be very careful about following up too much once, maybe twice maximum was was what she said. I mean, to be honest, I think the same is true with link building. But I did get the sense that she was maybe a little bit more cautious there. It's a, it's a smaller world. There's fewer journalists than there are website owners or SEOs. So you don't want to burn too many bridges and you don't want to have people clicking on the report spam button. It can obviously affect deliverability. And just like you do in link building, you've got to monitor deliverability and take care of those things as well. Now, one interesting thing, this actually caught us out the first time we tried to do digital PR campaign is don't expect anyone to reply. A lot of people will use your story link to you and not bother replying or saying anything. When we first started playing around with digital PR, we made the mistake of thinking it was the same as link building, where most of the time, if someone's gonna link to you, they'll reply and say so and talk to you. But that's just not the case with digital PR. So Gabby suggested that monitoring open rates is is important to ensure that your deliverability is fine and to make sure that you've got you know the subject lines and and all those, those elements are, are clicking and there's a, a higher chance of your your campaign being successful. So for that reason, it's even more important to be monitoring for these links. So the usual places, you know, AHREFs obviously and uh, Google Alerts can can be helpful there as well. I think the main thing that I find really helpful. In getting into digital PR is getting in the mind of a journalist. As I said, they're all busy. They all have deadlines. Editors breathing down their back. Tight deadlines to produce lots of articles. Articles they're all measured on views, clicks, likes, engagement, shares. These kind of metrics. So naturally they end up writing stuff that's a bit more clickbaity and that's going to get a lot more impressions, get a lot more views, and it's going to do well in algorithms. And it's just going to do well with the general public, not necessarily your specific target market of customers, but the general public browsing through Facebook or Twitter, you know? So your story has to have broad appeal and you have to give the journalist as much of what they need to write the story so that there's just a little bit of work for them to do. And hey, they've got a full article that's interesting that's going to appeal to a lot of people get a lot of clicks get a lot of views and yeah Job well done. So thanks so much to Gabby from Bright Valley Marketing for coming on, sharing all of that useful, juicy digital PR tips. It was really insightful. It's great when a guest comes on and is just so open and honest about exactly what they're, they're doing. And it's great to learn from people like that. If you have any questions on digital PR, feel free to drop a comment on the YouTube video for this podcast. But other than that, make sure you are subscribed because in two weeks time, we'll be back with another episode.